Welcome to the With a Dog podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Carly. And I'm Izzy. We find answers to all your dog questions so you can get the most out of life with a dog. Um, Let's do this. Let's do it. This is happening. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Starting. Hey, Carly. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for asking, Izzy. Um, sunny, beautiful day in Seattle. It's been on and off sun, so that's it's about to get rainy again, which is depressing. Um, so I've been sitting outside with Lupin in the sun and right. his, yeah, his sunburn is better, which is good. Well, rash sunburn, whatever the heck it was. Um, you know how last week we were talking about the allergies, like both of mm. us kind of getting allergies and then Lupin's flaring up. It's been 10 times better recently because I've been wiping him down. Um, after he comes from inside and I've been like putting a barrier between him and the ground. If he lays outside and I've been putting a wet like towel on top of him as well to keep his temperature down, but also to hopefully reduce any potential like sunburn or if it was pollen Mm. attaching to him. Um, That's good. Yeah. 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 So that's been helping. Um, but then I have noticed that there's literally piles. It looks like dust of pollen on the side of the road. Have you noticed that? It's like yellow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When I go out to my car, like I have to like do the little switchy thing on my steering wheel to wash the windscreen because there's so much pollen on it. And then it takes like at least three swishes for it to go away because it's so three thick. Three swishes. Three swishes. <laughs> Wipes. <laughs> wipes swishes (laughs) whooshes yeah Um, it takes three swishes and then it's finally gone but then there's this like perimeter of pollen yes on the edge yeah so I saw that on my car as well and just on the side we were going for a walk and it was just like piled kind of on the side of the road and so that made me feel a lot better because I was feeling like a bad dog mom I was thinking that I had let him sit outside too long and get sunburned and that his allergies were flaring up because of something that I did And so now I'm very happy. Well, you know, not happy, but at least I feel a little bit better about myself that he didn't, that I didn't cause this about being neglectful. It's just something in the environment right now. Good. Good. You're not a bad dog, mom. No. Just insensitive. Yeah. Lupin's just a little sensitive boy. (laughs) Drives me nuts. Um, And he's also been doing a lot of puzzle toys. Recommended by Chrissy Joy. If you want to listen to that episode, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we went to Mud Bay, which is a local pet store, and they had a bunch of puzzle toys and they had like little Sudoku for dogs and stuff like that. Yeah. Because um, I've been on Chewy to get some for Arthur, but they're just like all like the same pretty much. So I'm looking for something a bit different. This one, I got a turtle. It's like a Kong. It has like a little Mm. thing in its belly that you can put treats in and Lupin has to kick it around to to get the treats out, which he kind of does. He gets a little lazy with it. He'll he'll do a few and then be like, this is too much work. Um, And then there's another one that's an actual puzzle. So I've been feeding him his dinner or breakfast and that. And he's been figuring it out. Very happy. I'm very proud of him. <laughs> Felt so much pride in my old boy that sometimes I sometimes I call him stupid, which is not fair because I know he can figure things out, and he's been showing me that 
there's a little brain in there chugging away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, loopy. Yeah. But what puzzle ones do Arthur, does Arthur use? So he has one, which is, it's like a bone and it has like four layers that spin around. So there's like four Mm -hmm. bones all on top of each other. And then within the four bones, there's four other bones, like little pools where you can put the kimball. So it like spins around on so many different levels. And then you can just put the kibble in as is, or there's these like inserts that you put in that he has to take out with his mouth. And so they like stop it from swishing all the way around. That's, so he has I think to, like, that's similar to what, yeah, that's similar to what Lupin has yeah. right now. I think he has that one. He's got a bobolot, which is like the Kong wobbler, but a little bit different. Um, and then he did have one, which was kind of cool. It was like three test tubes and he had to like push the test tube all the way around and then the food would fall out of the hole. I've um, seen that. I think I've seen yeah. a homemade version of that, like with yeah. water bottles. I was thinking yeah. about doing something like that. It's really good. But Arthur, if he can't figure it out in two minutes, then he decides to just eat through whatever it is to get to the food. That's the difference between so. our dogs. One, <laughs> Arthur's smart and he usually can figure it out. But if he can't, then he'll just chew through it. Yeah. Lupin, on the other hand, he sometimes he'll too just, much. yeah, <laughs> he'll either flip it upside down and get whatever he can out of it or he'll just, he'll just leave it and then rediscover it two hours later. Like, oh my gosh, did you know there was food in here? <laughs> he does have another one, which is, it's kind of like a Kong wobbler, but imagine if the wobbler had four layers and then each layer had like a different sized hole in. So the kibble goes in the top and then you have to push it around. So it goes all the way down to the bottom layer and it food pops out. And that one's, pr- that one's pretty good. He likes that one. These are Bit all of a pain. quite complicated, which is yeah. impressive for Arthur. Good for him. Yeah. But he figures it out so quickly. I even on the bubble, I even shut the door like all the way shut. Like he can't actually get into it without an opposable thumb and he still manages to open it. I don't know. And he sometimes will like pick it up somehow, like from like a tiny little corner that he's picked up and he'll just chuck it across the room. And I don't know, maybe that does something, but <laughs> obviously, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty to. clever. He's a pretty clever boy, but I do need to, I need to get some new ones. Cause yeah, he just figures them out too quickly. Maybe we should trade. Oh, we should maybe we should little... trade. Yeah. <gasps> Yeah, yeah, we can I'll, trade them. I'll drop some on your door if you drop some on my door. <laughs> <laughs> we'll disinfect them, run it through the wash. <laughs> exactly. What else is going on with you and Nothing. Arthur? Nothing. Um, Arthur's been a good boy recently. Although he has started to um like he started to put the brakes on me a little bit when we're walking, and he does it to chase sometimes too. And I can't tell if it's like he just doesn't want to walk anymore and he wants to go home or not, because He'll like, we'll get halfway up the road and he'll put his brakes on. He removes his chin. He's like, (laughs) no, I don't want to walk anymore. So you go the opposite direction, which is still not the direction of home. And he knows where home is and he'll be fine going the other way, which is still away from home. If he was like, was wanting to go home, wouldn't he just only go in that direction? Yeah. That sounds like Lupin. It sounds like he's like done with his normal route maybe. Mm -hmm. And he wants to, cause that's what Lupin does too. If we go one direction We'll go out of the neighborhood. And if we go one direction, that's when he puts the brakes on. Mm. And and then you kind of just stand there. And I take like a step 
in all the different directions and whatever one he chooses <laughs> is the one we go. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. He is getting a little bit bored. I went on a bit of a mission the other day to um, like try and find some new routes because I'm getting bored of the same running route that I'm doing. So I went on a bit of a mission, try to find some alternative places to go because the place that we go to at the minute, it's like underneath the like power line so we can walk along the trail underneath and that's usually my running route too. So I was like, maybe it carries on. Like when it when we crossed the street, that got to a dead end. That just got to private property that I couldn't get around. So I went the other way and I was like, oh, look, a natural gas pipe. Let me follow that and see where that goes. And that just got to overgrown blackberry bushes. I was like, for fuck's sake. Got nowhere to, <laughs> got nowhere to take this poor dog and he refuses to walk anywhere. <laughs> There's nowhere for Arthur, nowhere for you. There's I know. Box. It's, yeah, we are in this like very just small area. I mean, I'm very thankful that we have, luckily, two areas very close by where he can at least be off leash and just have a little wander around on his own. But yeah, he's bored. I'm bored. We're all bored. Bored of this. In the yeah. house board. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen those but, TikTok videos? I don't do TikTok. Oh. You should know me. I I know that. <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't even call, qualify myself as like a TikTok. I, I don't, I've never made one. I just watch them occasionally, like maybe for like 30 minutes every few days since quarantine has happened. I didn't have it before, <laughs> but then I was like, let's see. I've been seeing some funny videos. So I like actually made an account. And then there's this like one, it's, it's this one video type and it's like, born in the house in the house board and then people like dance to it or something I don't know for whatever reason it's just stuck in my head when everyone says they're bored I just that's all I can think of it's so true though there's only so much that you can do sometimes people tell me things at work and I'm like why did we just discuss that this is how (laughs) bored we are with our own lives is like we've just discussed what type of orange juice we've drank that day No, it does not matter. I hope your coworkers yeah. listen to this and then they're going to be like, I thought that was a really deep discussion with Izzy. And- <laughs> you know who you are, coworker. You thought it too. <laughs> I can see you guys just like looking at each other afterwards like, what the fuck do we just talk about? Like, why are, why are we doing this? I think um, I proceeded to just put my head on the desk and was just like, oh, this is going to be a really long summer. This is going to be great. There's only so many brands of orange juice out there. You should taste them all. And you should do a review <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> this week's is uh, Sunny D. It's shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. Cool. Anyway, um, we do have quite an exciting guest on today um, to hopefully relieve some of that boredom that some of us are feeling right now. Uh, so today we are chatting with Katie Amarine. Sorry if I said that wrong, Katie. Um, she's the education manager at Pause, which is a local shelter here just north of Seattle, Washington. She has a master's in environmental education, and she currently manages all the community education programs that are aimed mainly at youth, uh, but also include teens and adults about companion animal care and wildlife. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great episode. She was super interesting. You can tell that she's very passionate about empathy development and social emotional growth in youth. So I loved hearing about that type of aspect within her job, because I think this episode is going to be such a great resource for all the people that maybe have kids and you want to start developing that relationship with animals at a young age within your kids, or maybe you have a dog and your niece, nephew, or your friends have kids and you want to make sure that your dog is kind of in safe hands if, uh, you know, if you bring your your dog over to their house and maybe sometimes the kids are a little, go a little crazy on them. So I think uh, this is just a really good and interesting resource um, and interview all around. So yeah, let's Enjoy. jump into it. Cool. Yeah, let's, let's jump straight in. So uh, welcome, Katie. Um, for the listeners who are out there right now, um, can you just tell them a little bit about who you are, do a, a little bit about Poppy? Yes, Poppy the Pup, who has her own song. Um, oh. So we yeah, want to hear more, it. More to come, more to come. <laughs> um, I'm Katie Amrain. Uh, I am the education manager at PAWS in Linwood, Washington. And my background is in environmental education and humane education. Um, I have a master's in education, and I care a lot about understanding how people develop empathy and kind of that human-animal bond and that social-emotional component. So at my, in my role at PAWS, um, I'm managing education programs. We go into schools. We have lots of youth come to our facility, and it's all founded in how can we foster empathy and compassion and ultimately action for animals. So that's just a little bit about my professional life. Um, in my personal life, I'm a big animal lover, as I think one might assume, being honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one dog. Her name is Poppy, and she's a paws dog. I got her in, let's see, July of last year, 2019. And she's a uh, full of mischief and fun. And she's she was about a year and a half when I got her and definitely keeps me on my toes. She's a very active dog and um, it's a really great motivator for me. And we do lots and lots and lots of training. We go to agility. She's She keeps me going and keeps me, keeps me always wanting to learn more about dog behavior and dog interactions and human animal bonds and all of that. So it's a fun journey to be on. I bet. What kind of dog did you say she was? She's a, what I call a long brown dog. Um, she's <laughs> long and brown. She's uh, she looks kind of like a small chocolate lab. Um, but she is 38% unknown, unidentifiable mutt. She is one quarter Catahoula leopard dog, one eighth lab, one eighth border collie, and one eighth white Swiss shepherd. I've never even heard of that one. I love just that you had it memorized. <laughs> I get a lot of questions about what she is because she's a very unique looking dog. She has these like yellow eyes that can see into your soul. And she's just this long brown thing. (laughs) She sounds adorable. Well, that's what you said. You went to agility with her. And so that's why I was like, it has to be okay. And you mentioned the Catahoula. So that makes sense. Yeah. So she's pretty smart and really wants like a lot of physical activity. Oh my gosh. So much, so much smartness in her. She's too smart for her own good. She's too smart for me. Um, she knows the rules and sometimes she tries to see what she can get away with. And we are constantly learning new tricks. And with being in quarantine during coronavirus, we created a little DIY agility course at home just to keep her moving and going. So cool. That's smart. It's been fun. It's been a journey for sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure she loves it. She's like, she does. yeah, look at them. They're just making everything for me in the home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she really kind of lives the dream. Did you know when you got her that you wanted to do the agility or did something happen where you were like, okay, something needs to change? So when I, when I got her, I knew she was a very active dog and that was great for my lifestyle. Um, that was very much something that I wanted. And you can only go on so many runs and hikes and play fetch to the point that it starts to feel like you need something else. At least I felt like I needed something else. <laughs> And we went through um, beginners uh, training classes. We did advanced training classes. She passed her canine good citizen test. She was just like checking off all the boxes, doing all the things. And it was constantly kind of like, what's next? And so agility was next. That's so cool. I've always wanted Arthur to do some agility, but I don't know. I just never really got around to it. We like when we go to the gym and they like those little agility courses, he'll entertain it for a but then he's like, eh. <laughs> oh, you want me to go through the tunnel? Nah, it's fine. I'm going to pee on it instead. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> I would pay big money to see my dog Lupin do an agility course. Just the thought process that a dog has to have to like go through a tunnel or up the steps or something, like in a way that you want them to, not just their stairs, you have to climb them, but mm-hmm. you want them to, like, because otherwise Lupin would just go around the tunnel. I'd be like, here's the food and like put it in the tunnel. And then I'd be like on the other end of the tunnel with the food. And he would just still walk around and then just be like, (laughs) I'm here. I did it. So, yeah. So I think it takes a lot of smarts for a dog to do the agility and probably a pretty good bonding experience for you guys too, right? It definitely is. It's been so good. It really helps with her off-leash commands and just responsiveness to me in general. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And you said you lead a pretty active lifestyle. So do you do, mm-hmm. are you that typical Pacific Northwest person that <laughs> does a lot of hiking and does a lot of running and cycling and, and all the things? Yes. All the things. <laughs> um, yeah. Very active. And Poppy definitely fits right into that, which is great. I think with her age right now, like she's reaching two-ish, she definitely is her energy level, I would say it's slightly above mine. And I anticipate as she settles into adulthood, she'll match my level a little bit more, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> right now, uh, between my partner and me, we spend about three hours a day exercising her. So Gosh. yeah, it's a, a, just a huge amount of time and commitment, but it pays off for sure. Yeah. And that's, and that's probably good. You know, you working where you work and doing what you do, you probably knew before you got a dog, like, I want a really active one. Maybe not this active, but you know, like knowing that <laughs> just like I want a really active dog because that will match your lifestyle. If if you're a couch potato like me and Lupin, we're, that's why we are the perfect team because we <laughs> will sit and be on the couch. No, I'm just kidding. We, we are actually very active, but not to the extent like he's not hiking or anything. He's he'll kind of just go to the dog park. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Different personality matches for sure. Exactly. And that's all about, yeah, when you adopt a dog or if you go to a breeder and get a specific breed or something, you have to think about those things. So, yeah. So you probably were very well aware of all of that when you were mm-hmm. looking for a dog. Definitely. Yeah. It's actually something that we do in one of our education programs. We do a whole little activity around matching your personality with a potential pet's personality and kids get to fill out a little quiz where they figure out, would their perfect pet be a party animal, a sidekick or a snuggle buddy? 
that very much simplifies it. That kind of breaks it down by energy level. I like to think it's kind of a chart between energy level, you know, it's a spectrum and um, attachment to a person can also be a spectrum. So an animal might be like, oh, I'm more aloof and fine, but really high energy, or maybe they're very high energy and very attached to a person. So this mm-hmm. like quiz that we do, it simplifies it pretty much just to energy level, but it's such a fun way for the kids to start thinking about that dog that is really hyper and seems really fun. Would that actually fit into what their life is, what their family's life is? And maybe that would be perfect for them as one child in their family, but maybe that's not what their parents would want. So that's a really fun activity to get Mm -hmm. kids thinking about it. And I think that's very interesting because I don't think a lot of adults, me included, we rarely kind of sit back and reflect on what our lives are and what we do on a day-to-day basis. We just do it. And just work the dog into it somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, I I want a dog. I'm going to get a dog and then I'll figure the rest out later which is not the best way to go about things, <laughs> not necessarily. Yeah. So I think it's good. I, like, I wish someone had taught me at a young age to kind of reflect and be like, what lifestyle do you have? And like, what are you going to, even when you think about like jobs and stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like I initially, I went to school, I wanted to be an oceanographer and I didn't realize I hated being underwater. Never even thought about it. I just thought that's a cool job. I want to do it. And then I literally can't even like hold my breath underwater. I have to hold my nose. So I don't know why. So I wish someone had been like, just think about what your life is like and then figure out what you want to do. And then what dog you want. At least you, at least you figured that out. Like it sounds like fairly early on. Yeah. No, thanks to um, the lack of, education yeah if she had the the education had, that you had mm-hmm. katie if you had yeah. met me sooner. if only i had the program that you teach <laughs> i think that's so smart though too because obviously in what we're talking about it's like if you're going to be getting a dog but i think a lot of times people misunderstand dogs but then especially cats because a lot of times they're very aloof and they're not the party animal you know or they have the <laughs> attachment that's very separate or something and you can teach kids that from a young age so when they go over to a friend's house and they have a cat they don't try to like pick up the cat and snuggle it and then they get clawed in the face mm-hmm. and then you know then for the rest of their life they're like oh I hate cats there are those yeah. adults out there basically yeah. that are like that now <laughs> they're just like oh cats are dicks that's my husband <laughs> There are, you know, because they probably had some bad experience as a kid or they just don't understand those different personality types because it just doesn't match with what they would want the animal Mm -hmm. to be. Or they like grew up with a cat that was very social and cuddly and would kind of put up with anything. And then in adulthood, they encounter a cat that's not that way. And somehow it suddenly becomes the cat's fault rather than just understanding that these are different animals with different personalities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love how you just threw Chase under the bus there. (laughs) (laughs) He'll be the first one to say it. He'll be like, yeah, I don't like cats. You know why? Because they always scratch me. Maybe because you poke them in the face. I don't don't know. Um, They're not dogs. So so you got Poppy. Mm -hmm. How long have you had her now? It's a great question. Um, What month are we in? Uh, Let's see, about eight or nine months. All right. So you've settled into everything. Do you live in the city or are you, do you have like acreage? No, or? I'm in a, I'm in a small apartment in Seattle. 
Okay. All right. So how do you get around the whole urban dog living situation? It's such an adventure. Um, I think the biggest thing that I didn't realize was every single day she gets constant socialization just from being exposed to so much in the city. Um, it's like the sounds of the bus driving by and the garbage collector right outside of our patio and so many dogs and cats around and tons of squirrels and just so much, so many people, people doing weird things like, you know, walking <laughs> backwards very, very slowly, which just happened the other day. <laughs> and Poppy was like, what is that person doing? <laughs> <laughs> so I think just being in the city gives her just that constant socialization, but it also means that I, I, I really care about making sure that she is set up for success and that we as a team are set up for success and the people around us are also going to be safe. And so um, I'm very lucky just kind of off the bat that she loves people. She loves every human that she meets. Um, but she is, you know, a maturing adult female dog and she can be sassy and she has opinions. She, as she matures, she is definitely a little bit more dog selective sometimes. And so just that constant training, like I don't go anywhere. We do not leave the apartment without my treat pouch because every single moment that I'm with her, I know is an opportunity to train her. I ran into a guy today on our walk and he's like, what's, what's that you've got on your hip? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is my treat pouch. And he was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's just funny how I think for some people, they're like, what are you doing? Like, are you, are you in training right now? And to me, we're always in training. She's always in training. So I really believe that kind of continuing with that process is really going to help ensure a lifetime of happiness and success. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you always have to, that was very well said. Um, and I, you always have to, you know, even like years down the line, just because they know something doesn't mean they'll necessarily mm -hmm. retain it. Um, you know, they they always need that constant reassurance, like, yes, this is still totally. what you need to do yeah. when you see another Here's dog unleash. Thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Well, like I had it with Arthur when I first adopted him. Was he was mm -hmm. very naughty unleash. He still can be very naughty unleash, and we would give him a treat every time he did something good and he got really, really well at just, or really, really good, I should say, really good at just being a normal dog on a walk. And then we were like, okay, great. We'll take a step back from that. Like he's got it down three months down the line. He's back at square one again. <laughs> and he's like, oh, great. There's no treats involved. Then I'm not going to do it. So always always a good thing he's a smarty he knows what's up mm -hmm. yep I think what you were just saying Katie is especially important for if your dog is smart like Poppy and yeah. Arthur and quite active you have to keep that training up you have to keep it consistent and I think that makes a lot of sense to continue that just on the everyday Especially what you're saying that she's constantly socialized when she goes outside. Because mm -hmm. I imagine if she didn't have that consistent kind of training treat routine with you when she was outside, I imagine it could be actually quite overwhelming for her if she didn't have that mm -hmm. rock. Yeah. Or for, for a lot of dogs, it could Definitely. be. And even like now, sometimes we'll go to, I don't know, like a quieter neighborhood. She comes to work with me sometimes and I'll, you know, take a lunchtime walk and walk her in the neighborhood. And there's very few dogs around. It's mostly just like dogs barking behind fences. And periodically we'll see a dog also on leash out on a walk. And she reacts so differently because, 
you know, if 45 minutes has gone by and she hasn't seen a dog on the walk, suddenly she sees one and it's so much more heightened. Whereas in our neighborhood or even just anywhere in Seattle, um, where there's just constant dogs, it's like, eh, background noise. Oh, there's another one. Oh, that's another one. Oh, that one's barking at me. I don't care. <laughs> but I even notice it just, we go to a different place. And if there aren't as many dogs around when she sees one, it's, it's a definitely a different experience. Yeah. I can actually attest to that with Lupin because he is, when we first got him, he was actually not food motivated whatsoever. The only thing that motivated him was other dogs. Mm -hmm. He's on a steroid daily now because of medical issues, which is why he's now food motivated. (laughs) Um, So, which was actually a saving grace. kind of helpful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Lupin was not food motivated when we first got him. He became very food motivated. Um, down the line but at first it was only other dogs and he would see other dogs and he would just get so excited because that was kind of his prior life before I rescued him was only other dogs mm-hmm. he had very little socialization with people and so he would just gets so happy just like oh my god my best friend I know what you are <laughs> this little foreign human world I don't like it come back we can be friends and so he'll just get so excited and now that he's gotten older he's he's still excited to see other dogs but he doesn't react nearly as what he did when he was younger but with this whole quarantine thing he saw a dog in our walk which usually he'd go to the dog park all the time but it's closed because of COVID-19 which is understandable and he'll see a dog on our walk and he gets so excited oh. like he just like he was a puppy again he's like woofing and play bowing and he's 10 or 11 so it's a big deal <laughs> that's why I'm like like he's a puppy. Wow. yeah so he's just woofing and play bowing and getting so excited even for the small dogs that usually he ignores <laughs> he'll just he gets so excited like, I'll take anything <laughs> yeah so exactly what you're saying if they're not used mm-hmm. to it that it's it's a whole different experience but other question. Have you had any struggles as a new dog mom? You know, even though you have the background that you have and you work where you work, was anything a surprise or do you have to overcome anything in particular? I think the biggest thing is just that with any individual animal, there's such a learning curve. And as you kind of get acquainted with each other and you get to know the animal more, like when I first brought Poppy home, she did not touch a toy. She did not wag her tail for the first like three to four weeks that we had her. Oh, I mean, for a long time, it was like, is she okay? She's just going to be like this forever. That's okay. We still (laughs) love her. Um, But as she's come out of her shell, she's an entirely different dog. And so I think that's, that's just the biggest thing is learning what makes her tick, learning what, what she loves and what are some of the things that maybe she doesn't love and that's okay. Um, so for example, like early on when we had her, she definitely was interested in dogs and would play with more dogs. And so periodically we would go to the dog park at really quiet times, but it started to get to the point where she was just getting more and more overwhelmed and overstimulated anytime we were there. And ultimately made the decision like she is not being set up for success in this space it's not something that she loves to do she would so much rather like go play with a ball by herself and just me um that is her happy place for sure and so just really working life around her rather than trying to force her into my life and into my idea of what she should be and what what I wish she would be um just really wanting her to be set up for success and understanding that every animal is super different. And I think taking the time, like I obsessively watch videos and read articles and, you know, go to training classes and that sort of thing. And it's because I, I care so much about 
making sure that she is being given the best life possible. So I think just revolving my whole life around her has been just a big adjustment for me, um, but is something I wouldn't change for the world. Oh, that sounds sweet. You literally sound like the perfect adopter. And I don't know why you never be the perfect adopter just with your background. But for anyone who's listening out there who wants to adopt a dog, this is what you should do. (laughs) This is what we want you to do. Yeah. I was thinking that as you were talking to Katie, I was just like, exactly. She gets it. She knows. And it's, I mean, it's hard because I'm like, I'm in the field and I hear stories from kids that we're teaching. I see it in adults that we work with. These people who like are so well-intentioned, but so uneducated about it, even just about like their dog's behavior and what behavior is bullying or playing because that's a really fine line. And it's shocking how many adults and kids I think have a lot of like learning and growing to do on their own. And maybe they don't always realize that. So. Hey everyone, as you may be able to tell, we're a new podcast, so we don't have any ad spots or sponsors. We're doing all of this out of our own pocket. So if you're enjoying this episode so far, please take the time to subscribe, give us a five-star review. It really helps our podcast so much and makes it easier for others to find us as well. All right, Katie. So I want to know what exactly are the programs that you teach with PAWS? You've kind of like mentioned a few different types. Yeah. So we have some programs that are on site at PAWS where we have kids come to our facility. Um, We have lots of scout programs for Girl Scouts and Cub Scouts where they will earn a specific badge and learn about animals. And those are all designed to build on each other. As kids get older, they can keep coming back year after year. Um, We also have some on-site programs for preteens and teens, and these are service project based. So they are learning about the issues that we deal with at PAWS and they're doing service projects to help. So that level of kind of action is integrated and it's really, really powerful for them. Um, And then our most robust program is called Kids Who Care. And it is a six week long program for fourth graders throughout Snohomish County. So we go to every year we go to about 25 different schools reaching close to 100 classrooms of kids, close to 2,500 kids total. And through this six-week-long program, we cover everything from how to be safe around dogs, how to read cat body language, what we can do to keep our pets safe. We learn about catios. Um, So we do a lot about companion animals. We get into some heavy stuff like overpopulation and spaying and neutering and even puppy mills and animal abuse. So we, we do a lot with it. Um, And that's just the companion animal side of things. We also do some lessons about wildlife and wildlife in our communities and how we share this world with them. We share these habitats with them and what are some of the issues that they face and what kids can do to help. So it's very much action oriented, um, helping them feel empowered and also connecting it to their daily lives. So they, they actually feel like they can make a difference. And so in fourth grade, I'm at nine years old, like that is some pretty heavy, like at some points, like quite dark things to be talking about with kids. How do you even approach that kind of subject when you're not necessarily like a parent and you still want to be like respective of that boundary? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's something we, we are very careful with. Um, Everything that we do, we try to connect it back to the kids' lives as much as possible and their own experiences. And this, just in the research behind child development, the scale of the problem that you're presenting to them has to be equivalent to the scale of the solution. So 
I can't tell a kid about like these thousands of puppy mills and millions of animals dying without giving them a solution that feels like it's in their power and also is similar to the scale of the problem. And so with puppy mills, for example, we aren't talking about like the millions of animals in puppy mills. We're talking about when you get a pet, there's a lot of different places that you can get it from. Maybe you and your family go to a shelter like Paws. Maybe you know someone whose dog had puppies and you get a puppy from them. Maybe you buy your pet from a breeder. Maybe you get it on the internet. So there's lots of different ways that people get pets. And kids understand that. A lot of kids have pets from these different places. And helping them understand that when you're doing your research, when you are thinking about where that pet is coming from, if it's coming from the internet in this region, that is the most common place that puppy mill animals kind of are are being sold. Um, we're lucky enough to not really have too many pet stores in our kind of specific King County and Snohomish County, no pet stores with dogs and cats in them from puppy mills. But the internet, there's a lot that happens on the internet. And helping kids understand that if their family decides to get a pet from the internet, it's so important to ask these questions, to do your research, to know what to look for. So they can then go home and share that with their families. They're not going to go home and tell their families like, we should never buy from a breeder. We should only support animal shelters. That's not what we're trying to do because I think on a personal note that as much as I work in the field, I work for an animal shelter. I'm also not in it to alienate kids. And I understand that these are complex decisions and everyone is going to make the decision that's best for them. And I don't want to tell kids don't buy from a breeder. What I do want to tell them is do your research, understand what you're supporting, understand where that pet is coming from. And that's where the power comes in. Um, they understand this is a problem and they feel like they have action steps that can help them with a solution for themselves and with their family. And they're more informed and they can help their families become more informed. That is, that is excellent. I really hope that people listening can kind of relate to that and say, actually, yes, that is something that I want my kid to learn because it is such a valuable lesson for sure. Um, would you like, I don't know if you can or not, but can you touch on like, if someone does want to buy from a breeder, what are those questions that they should be asking? So some of the questions that kids can ask to be better informed about where a pet is coming from is, can I see where this pet has been living? Can I meet the mom and dad animal? Can you show me vet records of how many times this pet has been to the vet and what its health is like? What happens if this animal gets sick or if something happens and we can't keep this animal? What are you looking for in people who are taking your pets? Like what is important to you? Those are five quick and easy questions just to help kids think about who is this person that's selling the animal? Where is it coming from? And how much do they care? Which says a lot about whether they're going to be a responsible or an irresponsible breeder. And I think that is just going to help so many people listening right now. Just those five questions. And that's so smart too, because kids have no filter. So they will, no have, filter. <laughs> they will have no problems being like, dad, no, we're yeah. not doing this. Mm-hmm. You're being a bad, res- irresponsible person. <laughs> Absolutely. And something like spaying and neutering is is an interesting topic also because a lot of the kids that we work with have had their own pets at home, have had babies. And, you know, they'll tell me the first lesson, they'll like run up to me, Miss Katie, Miss Katie, my dog is pregnant and she's going to have a bunch of puppies. And they're really excited about it. And I don't want to invalidate 
that lived experience for them. I don't want to contradict whatever they're hearing from their parents, whatever kind of is happening in their home life. And so never telling a child that they're doing something wrong or that their family is doing something wrong, but helping them understand the complexity of these issues and why someone might make one choice or the other, and ultimately helping them to make their own choice for themselves. So we're never going to tell a kid like, you have to go home and tell your parents to spay or neuter your pet. We're not going to do that, but we're going to talk about this problem of overpopulation And then we do an assessment of the program to find out before and after how many kids think overpopulation is a problem. And the, the results are just dramatic. It's, I don't know specific numbers off the top of my head, but it goes from something like 30 or 40% up to 80 or 90% of kids that think overpopulation is a problem from before to after the program. That's incredible. And also, you know, you're hopefully you know, I, I know that from kind of research that your program does reach quite a lot of kids when they're in school. Um, but if every, if every shelter, if every kind of rescue had a similar program, that reach could be kind of so phenomenal. You'll have the duration in theory of just responsible pet parents, which, I mean, you can imagine that adoptions will be easier. The retention will be higher. There'll be less, maybe less dogs in the ER from dog fights and other kind of getting into things they shouldn't be getting into and that kind of stuff just through education, which is fantastic. Absolutely. That's really the goal through our programs is to start them young by nine or 10 years old. Um, when you look at empathy development in kind of humans, by about four to five to six years old, they're really starting to understand that kind of everyone can have feelings and emotions. By seven to eight years old, they're starting to grasp some of the more complex nuances of emotions. And by nine and 10 years old, they're starting to understand the impacts that they can have on others' emotions. So in terms of empathy development for human to human, that's huge. And so that nine to 10-year-old range is really when they're starting to pick up on the impacts they can have. And it's shocking how easily that transfers to animals. Kids have such a natural tendency to think about animals as having feelings. I think it's very much an adult ideology that animals don't have feelings. It's crazy. It's like trained (laughs) into us. And you like every child pretty much says, oh yeah, of course, all animals have feelings just like people do. So translating that empathy from humans to animals is a very natural transition and is something that most kids already are already starting to do. I think that age, obviously it's like scientifically backed, you know, from what you just said of like, that's the good time to do it. But I think just in the home, maybe that's the time that a lot more parents are kind of saying like, you need to do more of an active role in like chores and things like that. After this education course, they're maybe a little bit more aware and they can actually put it into practice, like you're saying, of caring for the animal within the home, like, oh, brushing them or, you know, feeding them or on walks or however it is for like that nine to 10 year old age. I think that that makes a lot of sense too. And it's probably can translate well into the home so that the parents enjoy the education that the kids have had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's also an age where kids are really starting to grapple with what they think is right and wrong. A lot of fourth grade classes in the region read a book called Shiloh, which covers a lot of animal abuse. And it's a story of some a kids abusing an animal and another kid like steals the dog to try to save the dog because this other kid's abusing the dog. And there's so many complex uh, nuances of 
morality in it and for kids to be reading this book as part of their fourth grade curriculum and then pause comes in and we're talking more about you know we talk about animal abuse and how humans have a responsibility towards pets pets depend on us and the kids like everything is clicking into place for them and it's pretty shocking and kind of horrifying the number of stories that we get where kids will tell us about someone in their life that abuses a dog or they'll ask, my dad is doing this certain thing to the dog. Is that okay? And they're really trying to understand like what is okay and what is morally right and wrong. And they're starting to form their own opinions about it. So I think by that age, it's no longer just, oh yeah, my family, my adults told me this. So that's the way it is they're starting to form their own decisions and their own conclusions. Do you ever hear the feedback from parents and what they have to say about everything? Yeah, we do. So we we get it a lot from the kids who are coming on site to our programs on site. And it's pretty amazing to hear from parents just how much they see it affecting their kids at home. Um, we hear it from teachers also. They say that the kids before and after the program, just the way that they talk about animals, the connections that they make to animals in their schoolyard after the Kids Who Care program or the PAWS programs, um, it definitely has a sustained impact on them and on their ability to think about animals as living beings and not just, you know, something else, These, this, not othering them, but connecting to them on a more personal level. And it's, it's pretty powerful to hear stories like that, to get feedback from parents and teachers who say that the impact on the kids is extending beyond just the experience of us working with them and teaching them. It's really affecting how they're kind of viewing animals in their day-to-day life. And that's our goal. So to get that feedback is really powerful. Oh my gosh, that must make your job so rewarding. I'm not a huge kid person. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very awkward around kids. I'm, I'll be the first one to admit it. But just like hearing your story, I'm like, wow, I should be an educator. That sounds amazing. (laughs) I ultimately got into education and I got into this field because I love understanding how people learn and specifically in the role that I'm in now, understanding how people learn and develop connections with and then ultimately want to help animals. It's such a complex process, especially the older someone gets, the more kind of set in their beliefs they are. and just the research, there's so much research around the learning process in youth and in adults. And that's initially what really like drew me to the field that I'm in. But on a day-to-day basis to get to see the impact happening is really, really magical. It's amazing. Do you ever have um, kids who maybe have had siblings who have gone through a similar program and then you see like the siblings come back and do you see like how... Um, I don't know what I'm trying to ask, like the retention of knowledge. Yeah. The retention of knowledge or like, can you see like, or you can suspect that someone in the class has got a sibling who has gone through a similar program because like their knowledge seems to be a little bit higher. Definitely. So there, there's a few parts of that. Um, one is I I really want to do an evaluation of retention of knowledge and follow kids through fifth and sixth and seventh grade and see how much of this is sticking with them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of my dreams, one of my long-term dreams. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, yeah, you can definitely tell a lot about 
just even what experience someone has with an animal. Everything we do, we try to connect back to the kids' lives and try to make it relatable for them. And that's just a big effort on our part to be able to reach diverse audiences and be more equitable and inclusive. Um, Not everyone has grown up with pets. And a lot of these kids maybe are scared of dogs. And so connecting with them where they are is super important. But then there's definitely the kids who they will come, you know, they'll run up at the very beginning and they'll run up and tell me, I, my brother had paws last year and I went to paws as a scout and I'm so excited and I know all about paws. And, (laughs) you know, these are the kids who are like holding fundraisers for paws on their birthday. And it's pretty powerful to see when we can impact those kids multiple times, like the kids who are coming to our facility for programs and we're in their classes the connections that we have with them are so much more powerful because they just understand more and they are so much more well-informed and they care so much. So we definitely see that. I think that's so cool too, because you're going out in the community like this, it makes the stereotype of the shelter or the pound so much nicer. And you know what it actually is, is a place where animals Mm -hmm. are cared for rather than this place where animals are chained up and euthanized and, you know, like it, it makes it better maybe in their eyes. So they're more willing to even go to that place. Yeah. And we even, like, I know that the Pacific Northwest is pretty uh, aware of shelter issues and um, that sort of thing, but it's still shocking how many kids will talk about pounds or dog catchers and it's they it's in the media they hear it in movies they see it happening and um we'll talk about like what is an animal shelter and some kids will say oh my gosh is that like a pound and then other kids will say oh no no that's different than a pound and so it you know kids are grappling with these different terms and the stereotypes as you're saying Carly just the stereotypes that come with them yeah Damn you lady and the tramp yeah. <laughs> Even like Secret Life mm-hmm. of Pets. Yeah. The second one. The yeah. it was like the dog catcher. Yeah. Was it the second or the first? I don't know. But there was the whole dog yeah. catcher thing and like all the other dogs like hiding away from us. Oh well, yeah, stuff. and also the in the first one, I love this film, so whatever. But I also hate <laughs> it because the dog that came home from the pound was like big and like scraggly and like kind of like kind of looked a bit smelly and just like big and cumbersome and it's like and then other dog is like prim proper well groomed and it's like you know just because it came from a shelter doesn't mean it looks like Mm -hmm. a sack of shit Mm -hmm. that walked off the side of the street (laughs) (laughs) because the poor shelter workers like probably gave that dog a bath on entry Exactly, Izzy. You should you should yeah. write them a letter. Yeah. And be like, look, I worked in a shelter. No way would I let someone take that dog home mm-hmm. looking like that. You I'll can be like, give it I love the movie, but please change this part and please <laughs> reproduce it. <laughs> please portray shelter dogs like they are meant to be portrayed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, especially since that first dog, I think he was just found in like a box on the side of the street. Oh, was he? Yeah. I think so. I don't think he was like... (laughs) Clearly, I didn't pay attention to it. (laughs) Katie, um, I have a question for people out there who maybe don't have a awesome education, um, you know, that (laughs) program that you have. One of my amazing educators coming to their classroom. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So first of all, call me if you don't. 
Okay. All right. There we Everyone go. call Katie. All of our <laughs> listeners. All five. <laughs> call Katie. Um, what can someone do just in the home, whether they're a parent, you know, that they can kind of start fostering this love for animals, wildlife, and dogs and cats, or maybe you're not a parent, but you have a dog, your dog is your baby, and you interact with kids regularly, and you want to make sure that the kids interacting with the animal are doing so in a very like good way and safe way and stuff. What, did, what are some tips that people can do maybe at home to start that? So much. There's so much that can be done at home. So um, during this time of COVID-19, the PAUSE education team has been developing a whole series of virtual learning videos and supplemental activities that are kind of a spinoff of some of our in-person programs, but they're a way to get kids thinking about animals in our community and what they can do to help. And you don't have to have a pet at home to be watching these videos, following along in these lessons, doing these activities. These are really designed to reach anyone and everyone. And they're very informative, but also really fun and engaging. So check those out at pause.org slash pause academy. That was a little plug for that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, the the more that you can expose kids to animals from an early age, the better off they are in the long term. It doesn't mean that you have to have a pet at home. Find people in your life that have pets, especially those that you know are maybe going to be more gentle around kids. Something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that only kids can teach animals to not be afraid of kids. We can't Mm -hmm. like force our pets to be comfortable around kids. We can maybe help them understand that they're going to be okay if we can set boundaries and if we can control the situation, but it's really up to kids to help these animals, to help dogs trust them. And there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of power that comes with helping kids understand that they are they are playing a role in training animals. They are playing a role in how comfortable that animal feels. Um, there are some amazing dog and cat body language guides on the internet. Just type in, just go into Google, type in dog language, dog body language, cat body language. And there, I cannot speak enough for how important it is for kids to learn some of those subtleties in animal behavior and in animal cues because something as simple as a twitch of the tail or a slight movement of the ears could completely change how that animal is going to respond to that child. And so helping kids understand that there's power in them kind of being part of this process and lots and lots of practice, lots and lots of coaching of kids. If as an adult, you aren't super comfortable around animals, this can be an adventure for both of you. But watch a lot of YouTube videos, learn more about body language. Um, When you're out on walks, don't ever be afraid to stop a safe distance away from someone with a dog and ask calmly, may I please pet your dog? Um, Because a lot of people also want to expose their pets to kids more, but they want Mm -hmm. it to be done safely. And if you kind of really take that to heart and you help guide your child on that journey, that can go a long way. And I think it's very important for, um, especially if you didn't grow up with dogs, I did not grow up with any pets. And honestly, David Attenborough, if it wasn't for you, I know you're probably not listening, (laughs) but if you ever are listening to this, if it wasn't for you, like, I don't know what kind of human I would be today because like he taught me everything I needed to know about animals. But yeah, like I would love to have, I would have loved to have an education, an education program to go to, like Mm. the one that you teach at Pause. It just sounds so interesting. So yeah, if you are a parent, do your kid a favor, sign up. 
Yeah. It's the perfect education thing to do right now, too. Right now, as in we're in quarantine, but also in the future, in maybe on their on summer break, something along mm-hmm. those lines, rainy day, pop up and learn more. I think that's so cool. Okay. Yes, Katie, this has been amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for dealing with us and our various audio issues <laughs> and everything. But I just think people are going to find this information so valuable and the work that you do is so important. So I'm really happy that we had you on to talk Thank about it. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. You're yeah. so great. And I can't wait to listen to more of your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right, Katie, we will put the Pause Academy info in the show notes. Yeah, and, sounds good. Um, thank you, and have a good rest of your night. Of course. You yes. Too. Thank you, Bye. Katie. Bye. All content on With a Dog Podcast is for informational purposes only and should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.